Hello fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to You Can Shine podcast where I explore real stories, real people just like you and I who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Dr. Anthony Metivier. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. I met Anthony through a mutual friend, Jenny Gorman, about three years ago. We've hung out, we've shared coffee and done a couple of podcast interviews together for Anthony's Magnetic Memory Method, and I'm proud to call him friend. Anthony is a memory improvement expert, blogger and podcaster. He holds many degrees and has a PhD in humanities. He was personally mentored by Tony Buzan, creator of the World Memory Championships. Tony awarded Anthony as a warrior of the mind for outstanding contributions to global mental literacy. Anthony is also a best-selling author of 13 books, 52 books overall, mainly about memory improvement. Anthony is partner to April and a fun fact is that he toured Canada and Europe in heavy metal bands. Welcome, Dr. Anthony Mativier. Thanks for having me, Josie. Appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the presence of royalty here and I have to watch my P's and Q's, but I've done a bit of a rundown here, Anthony, of some of your career and professional highlights. I'd really love it if you would share some of your real story underneath Anthony Mativier. What are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? Well, I would say that all of that strange productivity, I can take zero credit in because it was all, you know, animal responses to <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff going on and almost a survival attempt uh, in terms of writing a lot of things, playing a lot of music to deflect strange life situations. So we've had it all from crazy domestic conflicts coming from alcoholism, other forms of addiction in the family, suicidal family members, etc. And my biggest strategy for survival was either reading or writing. And I made a career out of both of those things. And in some sense, all the degrees I completed were really just an attempt to stay out of what they call the real world not really knowing at the time that university is just as much part of the world as any other sort of place in the world. But nonetheless, it's been productivity that, that doesn't really have some special accomplishment to it leading to royalty or anything like that. It's mm. just rather been a way of dealing with the world, coping with what one of my psychoanalysts would have called death anxiety. And then basically trying to teach myself what I needed to learn at every step of the way. I don't even know where to start asking questions here. There's just so much there. You talk about survival. You talk about a lot of uh, conflicts as you were growing up, whether it was addiction or, you know, suicide within the family and attempts to stay out of the real world. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, some of those experiences and importantly, how you pulled through. I know you're saying that you used your writing and your reading as mechanisms for survival, but, but tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I don't think I ever really did pull through until quite into my adulthood. 
So all of those evasion techniques would often create the problems I was trying to escape. So for example, playing music and being around bands, hanging out in bars, etc., is not exactly a survival technique. It's all, almost like a digging the ditch deeper technique. So it was quite late into my adulthood that I started to even have the compound effect of psychotherapy and whatnot start to kick in where I really saw what what those experiences had meant, the hours and hours that I had invested in in therapy. And it was really because I hit rock bottom. I I couldn't walk anymore because my psoriatic arthritis had gotten so bad. And it was drinking, staying up late at night, eating all kinds of horrible food like you eat when you're on the road touring <laughs> across Europe in particular, where it's just what they call donor, a certain Turkish fast food. That's all you're eating for days and days on end. And you're taking your antipsychotic medication with beer. You know, this is not a recipe for success. But when I realized that not being able to walk sucked, I had to make a change. I was forced to make a change. So it was just Tony Robbins 101, you know, pain <laughs> versus pleasure. And there was no pleasure anymore. So I had to make changes and pain is a great a great teacher. So that's when I started to reflect on a lot of the things that I'd been ignoring all along right. about things like my death anxiety and so forth. And that's when I started to change. So what were the major contributors to the pain? A lot of things. Really a moment that stands out is when a friend of mine told me, I was explaining the situation and talking about how I couldn't stop drinking because it was just around me all the time particularly in a relationship I was in. And she said, why do you keep trying to symbolically heal your father's alcoholism? And she just nailed it. And it was one of those wake up moments where I saw that that's exactly what I was going to do. Because there's no logical reason why I had to have a particular girlfriend that like my band just was locked into this groove of drinking, smoking, uh, staying up late at night, eating crap, etc. But I was sort of repeating this pattern of those kind of relationships for precisely that reason, as if there was a way that I was going to symbolically heal my father's alcoholism. And it just wasn't going to happen. And I didn't get out of that relationship overnight, but I knew that I had to because that was part of the secret. That was part of the key was to not repeat this need to heal something, at least not in that way. And so that really set the stage for a lot of transformation. And, you know, I didn't believe that I could actually have somebody in my life that didn't drink. I didn't believe that it was possible to ever meet a non-smoker or anything. I really didn't believe that. I wasn't even particularly attracted to it in a, in a way because the, your, you know, your subconscious or unconscious, or whatever you want to call it, is often against you and leading you to repeat certain patterns. And so that leads to limited beliefs and so on. But when I changed that and then started to work on myself, I became precisely the kind of person who could have really whatever, whatever I really wanted. And it's, it's, it's quite uh, extraordinary who, who shows up when, when you see reality for what it is that you're doing to yourself and you start to make those changes. And I was very fortunate to have a friend who pointed it out in that particular way. I don't know how she knew to do that, but she did. <laughs> it was so amazing. it sounds like that particular conversation in that moment 
was a, an aha moment, a realization, mm. an awakening yeah. um, of your own awareness of what was actually going on. How did you make sense of that? And importantly, what did you do to start that healing journey for yourself? Well, I had to, first of all, you know, I have to just recognize that I've been fortunate all along to really understand what she was saying. Like, that she used the word, you know, symbolically trying to heal. I, I really needed all those English literature and PhD degrees that I got because that's what you're supposed to be doing there is recognizing the symbolic nature of, of a lot that goes on in reality. But of course, I, I didn't in my own life, or if I did, I swept it under the carpet. So that was the first thing was just, you know, recognizing the blessing of all this ability to speak in that way. And then I had to make a plan, you know, I had to think, what am I going to do? So that meant moving out. It meant cutting ties with, with particular people, not just this particular girlfriend, but I, I left the band. I left the culture. I left a lot of things, moved into a, a neighborhood that would somewhat distance me from a lot of those things. And keep in mind, I'm still in Germany where you don't exactly escape alcohol and so forth, but Nonetheless, I just put it completely out of my life and made it that I was only with people that would support that. Got a personal trainer, got nutritionists on my team, and went from there with a plan. And because I'm not so good at sticking with plans on my own all the time, I had accountability from others to make it, to make it possible. And then just in the business, starting to collaborate with better and better entrepreneurs who you know, were visibly healthy who cherished non-toxic kinds of relationships in their own lives. They themselves didn't drink or anything like this, or at least not to the excesses that I used to. And just, you know, I, I don't believe that the formula, you are the average of your five closest friends actually makes sense, but there's something to it. And so when you update or change that sort of network then it's going to rub off on you and it's going to it's going to create improvements so that was a huge thing so anthony what was the decision you made that set you on this path with the plan i really would say it's a, it's a series of decisions but it was i'm going to heal i'm going to you know get rid of these things in my life as hard as it might be they're going to be gone all all negativity including some of my best friends to just cut off. And that has a little bit of a, a hook even to this day when I think about people I don't speak to anymore, but uh, that's just the way that it was. So it was pretty brutal in its way, but that was the decision. This is going to change you know, and no matter what it takes. And I stuck to it and, and it worked. So Anthony, this is a moment that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to where we realize that what we're doing is, self-defeating and we need to change and there are times where people will make a decision i'm going to change but then the resolve starts to wane mm. i'm wondering i'm just curious about what has kept you on path what is it what commitment have you made to keep you on path it's it's a series of commitments really it's 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 really building a system that has multiple commitments. So there's a commitment to meditation, for example, and really exploring that to its, its consequences. 
So a lot of people get into meditation and they, they dabble and they put their toes in the water, but they're not all in. And so in my meditation practice, it's like all in. What is the ultimate goal of meditation? It is no thoughts and essentially annihilating the ego, right? So when I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to figure out who did it and I'm going to commit to it and do that thing. So if it's memorizing hundreds of lines of Sanskrit, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've done. It turns out it works. So, you know, there's that. Then in terms of uh, your relationships, well, we know we have to remove toxic people, right? So it's not like half removing them. It's not, well, I'll sort of hang out with you once in a while. That's slippery slope kind of stuff. And I know just how easy it is because I try all that. And it's, I don't have willpower enough to resist too many invitations to drink. So just don't be around alcohol, period. Right. Mm. And so that's, that was the commitment and same thing with business. So you're going to change the world and help people, etc. So you're going to have a weekly podcast. You're going to have a weekly video. You're going to have a weekly, whatever. Right. And you just commit to it. And then because willpower doesn't exist, you create systems that make it happen regardless of whether you feel like it, etc. And you get your opinions out of it. You get your like, dislike monster out of it and you just do it. And there's, there's ways to do it. You hire people <laughs> that, that will do it when you can't and so on. So those are, they're multiple commitments and you have to sort of think of it like a, a, a Greek army kind of thing where it's not the one shield and spear, but it's the phalanx of shields and spheres that are ranked together in a formation that can move together on the strength of a collective as opposed to any individual soldier. Because one soldier is easy to topple, but 20 of them are mm. almost impossible to defeat. Mm. So tell me more about these systems and how mm. they've enabled you. Right. So systems are things that should work regardless of your feeling like that day. They're things that should work regardless of your opinions about them or anything like that. They are exactly what they sound like. You press the button and then a chain reaction goes and then an uh, end result comes, period. There's, there's very little wiggle room there. And so systems like that are just if this, then that. If I wake up, I meditate. If I meditate, I journal. If I journal, then this. And there's no brushing teeth. There's no going for a walk. There's no coffee. There's no computer that goes on <laughs> until that those things are done. And likewise with all kinds of things. If there's a keyword that the SEO expert gives me for my business, then there's an article written. Once the article's written, there's a podcast recorded. Once that's recorded, there's a video recorded, and so on. It's just a system. Nobody has to have opinions about it. Nobody has to feel like it. That's just the way that it goes. And you know, it's Yoda, do or do not. There is no try. So a lot of people where they struggle is that they don't have systems. They think about goals, but they don't do anything to create the systems that supports the goal. Uh, and that, that's, that's the number one thing to always be working on is the, if this, then that system. And you can do that in every area of life. Right. So what keeps it like, it's just, it sounds to me, you've got a system that creates discipline and that discipline then enables you to achieve the outcomes that, that you're very passionate and focused on. Discipline is something that a lot of people struggle with and, and often see as very limiting but it sounds to me that you're actually bringing it forward as a means to freedom. It is. And it's not even really discipline. 
the thing is, and this is an exercise that might help people, and I go through it every once in a while, but I, I dedicated myself to it when I first learned about it, mm. which is people just aren't honest with themselves. They say that they want things, but they don't actually really want them, which is not a problem. Not, not really wanting something is not a problem. But here's an exercise that I myself did when I, but just as I was starting my own business, which is a vision statement. You write it down every day and you commit to writing it down for 90 days minimum. And if you're honest about your vision for what you want to do, this will be no problem. You'll have zero problem writing that down every day for 90 days. When I started, after 11 days, I was almost puking because I couldn't stomach the nonsense I was telling myself that, you know, I wanted to have an apartment with a certain girl and earn a certain amount of money to pay for this house or whatever that was going to look at an ocean in a part of a city that she wanted to live in that I didn't want to live in. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's easy how quickly we delude ourselves. We say one thing, but we don't really want it. We're saying it to please other people and not to please ourselves. But when I got radically honest about what I really wanted, within a couple months, I was doing exactly that. I, I had books that were funding my ability to go on tour with a band yet again, you know, and it wouldn't have happened if I just hadn't been honest. And I just wrote that down. And within three months, I was, I was, I was living the dream and I had the system set up and I never have looked back since. Wow. It sounds simple. It is if you're honest with yourself, but most people, they won't or, or in some cases they can't because they've dug themselves so deep in the hole that they have debt and family obligations, etc. But even then, there must be some truth still left that they could make a change that would be so deeply satisfying if they would just be honest about it. So how would someone start to get honest the way you're suggesting? What advice would you give them? I think you really have to force yourself to see what it is that you're telling yourself this that is not honest. You have to you have to get to that point where where you know your own bile comes up in your own throat because you're like this is a lie that I'm perpetrating upon myself. You know, yet you sort of have to have that that self-disgust <laughs> to put it that way. I mean, this is the core of psychoanalysis, right? Is mm -hmm. that we repress you could pay thousands of dollars to a stranger and have thoughts come up in your head that you will not tell that person. Why would they care about, you know, you telling them things that are coming to your mind? And yet you'll sit there and repress it because of animal instinct for self-preservation that is completely against self-preservation. It's a weird paradox and irony. Some people get a great deal out of experiencing that in psychoanalysis. Other people they're, they're so stuck that they can't benefit from it. And I don't know why, but just journaling your own wishes and committing to doing it for 90 days, mm. it has that very similar effect. What is it that you're not telling yourself the truth about? And how can you chip away at it and just start to tell the truth? What a great question. What am I not telling the truth about to myself? Mm. What a great question. So what are some of the big lessons learned that might enable and resource our listeners today? Well, I think the number one thing to do is, is to be all in and, you know, really acknowledge that there is so much potential to do what you want to do, but you, you, you've got to reassess the mechanics and the realities behind it. And so that you can be all in. 
because we all have more resources than we can possibly ever be grateful enough for. But because we create the wrong dream, because we create the wrong ideas about how it has to be and we premise it on money, et cetera, et cetera, we often push the results away. We push the path away. But if we really look at it in the eye and say, how could this be possible, even if it's at the smallest scale, then we can do it. And so in terms of resources, there's lots of resources. Um, you, you've just got to sort of, you got to find your person. You know, there's many teachers out there. Mm. And a lot of us, we just skip from teacher to teacher to teacher to teacher, instead of really going all the way through the one person for long enough to even perceive the steps or the wisdom inside of what they're saying. So it's not about which resource, but it's how are you going to use the resource? And I just think the 90-day rule is good for lots of things. And that's not coming out of my own preference for 90 days. Believe me, I wish it was nine minutes. But uh, <laughs> Richard Weissman talks about it in 59 seconds as, you know, there's always this thing, habit formation. It takes 29 days of repetition for it to be a habit. This is all based on, on a myth. It's like an urban myth that was cooked up. Mm. But there is science that shows that over 90 days you have a chance of creating the neural networks in your brain that will not create a habit for life, but give you enough robustness in your neural networks that there will be a kind of show up on autopilot effect. Mm. And there'll be barriers along the way, such as, you know, you might write a lie to yourself <laughs> for 11 days or whatever it is before you start to break through the truth. But if you can just devote yourself to that long to any given teacher, you'll actually start to see what they're really saying and maybe craft out your own path. So I would mm. look more to the how you're using teaching as opposed to what is mm. the teacher or mm. who is the teacher. I really love the concept of radical honesty. And I think that's something that our listeners can definitely start to tune into and get clear about what that daily vision is and start writing it down and get some clarity. So how did you end up being this memory megastar? Well, it was just an accident, really. I mean, I was in Vancouver. I had finished a, a research grant in Germany, and I just banged on doors looking for jobs. And I found, in fact, the entrepreneur, Heidi Windy, who told me that I should stop trying to symbolically heal my father's alcoholism. <laughs> and uh, she didn't want to hire me. She couldn't hire me. And then I banged on her door again, and then she still couldn't. And third time, you know, lucky. And she said, okay, I've got something for you. And I was writing curriculum for this school that she had. And one day a teacher didn't show up and I was in bad shape at the time. I was missing a tooth in the front of my mouth, trying to save money to get an implant. And it was a bad scene. And, uh, and of course, drinking and stuff didn't help. But uh, one day a teacher didn't show up that needed to teach her classes. And she just said, can you put an elastic on your hair there so you don't look like a bum and teach this class? And so I put the ponytail on and with my missing tooth, I taught the kids this stuff that they needed to do in about 15 minutes from the position of a university professor. And I said, what do you want to do now? And they said, we don't know. You're the teacher. And I said, okay, let's learn how to memorize and recite the alphabet backwards. And they loved that because it only took about four minutes and they were all doing the alphabet backwards, which is a miracle if you've never experienced it because we're so used to doing it forward. Then I got mm -hmm. the memorizing cards. They said, hey, could you write all this stuff down? And so I said, yeah, sure. And I wrote down how to memorize vocabulary and all, all kinds of stuff. And that became my first book. And 
I don't know, I put it up on Amazon and I forgot about it. And a friend emailed me, I asked him, hey, can you get a copy of this or whatever? And he was like, have you seen that this is number one in what? <laughs> two, two categories on Amazon? And I said, no, I haven't seen this. And it was, it was number one in two categories, number three in another. And it stayed that way for, I think, six months or something. Wow. I saw that and I thought, well, if we can do that, we can do anything. <laughs> so away we go. <laughs> wow. Never, never looked back. So Anthony, tell me, do you have any other nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to leave our audience with today? Uh, I would just quote Nietzsche, <laughs> say yes. <laughs> Whatever is going on, just say yes to it. And uh, that's always served me well. And be honest with yourself. That too, say yes to that too. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to connect with you, Anthony, or know more, where can we direct them? Well, the main hub is magneticmerrymethod.com. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many resources there. Or look me up on YouTube or Amazon or whatever your preferred platform is. But I will use robots and whatnot to try to get you over to magneticmerrymethod.com <laughs> no matter where you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll make sure I include those links in the resources today. Anthony, what an inspiration and true light you really are in the world. You've really shown us that no matter what our circumstances, you actually can rise and shine again. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, if Anthony can do it, so can you. Did you like this podcast? Share your comments with me and tell us what you loved about the interview and how it's been helpful for you. Help spread the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they too can rise and shine. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on.